0: He needs to keep his promises. You don't know what's true anymore. It hurts me to see people burning the
1: flag. Race relations. Can you I can't have a gun. I just saw, like, the politics. Unbelievable.
2: It's what you've been waiting for all day. America now. Buck Sexton with America now. Join the conversation. Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825.
3: Sharp mind. Strong voice. Buck Sexton. The deep state strikes back, my friends. Buck Saxon with America Now. Thank you so much for being here with me. We know what happened with General Flynn. He resigned. And we also know what the left is saying about all of this. They are now running. As I said would happen, they had stories ready to go. They're, in fact, really just rehashing, reusing reposting old stories to get all that Russia fear going again. Main story for much of the day-to-day was Trump campaign aides had repeated contacts with Russian intelligence. There's nothing new in this piece. They, they, they don't give you any new information. Uh, they do give you a little bit of detail, just a, just a tiny bit, a smidgen. Um, about where this information comes from for current and former American officials. Who wants to place a bet? I would be willing to bet. We'll never know, so I suppose we can't tell if I'm right or not. But I would be willing to bet that the former administration officials were Obama appointees. And the current American officials are people who are inside the bureaucracy, most likely somewhere in the intelligence community, and they are being political actors in this whole ordeal. They are being partisans. Now, the press seems very happy with itself right now. That's not surprising. The mainstream media is out there, and they think that they have scored a coup, a, a quiet coup or a nonviolent coup, but a coup nonetheless, They've been able to get the National Security Advisor to resign. What they don't seem to spend much time thinking about, they don't seem to think about the implications for this country when you have some people with access to very sensitive to classified information who will leak it in order to cause embarrassment to an individual with whom they disagree on political matters. To go after somebody like Flynn, to do this by releasing classified information to the press, is frightening. This should be upsetting. I, I remember all of the gnashing of teeth and the upset mainstream journalists during the Bush administration when there were discussions over surveillance and the NSA. I remember all of that. The the notion that Americans call records could be swept up and then they go through them with an algorithm. This was was horrifying, we were told. This was the beginning of a police state. And I do think there's a very serious conversation to be had about domestic surveillance. But the principle at the time was you can't have the government using spy powers to bypass constitutional protections. I have heard some astonishing stuff today from people who otherwise think of themselves as First Amendment defenders, uh, as those who stand athwart tyranny, the bulwark of liberty, yada, yada, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, saying, well, Flynn, is re- Flynn was really bad, so this was okay. They may not be explicit about that, but that's really the sentiment. Because they don't like Flynn, because they don't like Donald Trump, the fact that classified information was leaked in order to embarrass him there was no criminal activity and they're running all these stories about how the fbi was talking to him and the fbi talks to a lot of people the only possible prosecution could have been under the logan act and that would have been laughed out of a courtroom i mean a, a any public defender would be able to get you off from a prosecution under statute that is 200 years old that has never been used has never been used and as I've said to you before, if you began to apply it to uh, in, in a in a fair mind, and a nonpartisan way, there'd be some Democrats who would clearly have run afoul of it. But that's really neither here nor there, because it's all about getting us back into the Russia hysteria. And that's why the New York Times, on its front page today, main story all day, main story was about Russian intelligence contacts with members of the Trump team. If the people who are Leak, it. and by the way, they never have, they never have any evidence of wrongdoing to share. They just have innuendo. They have contacts. They have investigation. And I've seen the comparisons. People say, "Oh, well, what were the FBI investigating Hillary? Uh, what she did was illegal. What Hillary Clinton did with her server was blatantly illegal." And James Comey and the FBI, at the direction of the Department of Justice and Loretta Lynch, created a fake. Uh statutory protection for her is really the, the Hillary protection that, well, I mean, she didn't mean to, man, so it's like not that bad. Many counts of classified on an unclassified server. This would have sent other people to prison, but it was Hillary Clinton and her top aides and they gave them a sweetheart immunity deal. We all know we don't have to revisit all of that right now, but it's not the same. And people who are trying to pretend that it's the same are deluding themselves or are just openly lying to you. There's a lot of lying going on right now. And they are lying to you. But those who have access to classified information, and I used to, as I've said to you before, I had a top-secret clearance. I worked in the CIA for the Counterterrorism Center and the Office of Iraq Analysis. And this was from the first hour of your first day of employment in the intelligence community, protecting classified, protecting sources and methods, was an obligation that they were just hammering home all the time. N- number one, uphold and defend the Constitution and defend the American people. But to do that, you got to protect classified. So that's number two, or it's really tied into number one. But they have access to this information. They are releasing at least descriptions of phone calls made by a private U.S. citizen. ...to a Russian ambassador, and this was not picked up, as far as we know, through any legitimate uh, warrant that the FBI... They're, they're of course, phone calls can be wiretapped. Do we really If do we really think the FBI was wiretapping Flynn's phone because of a possible Logan Act violation? Wow. If that's the case, then the deep state is even more uh, deep-rooted and terrifying than, than I think, and I think it's pretty bad. No, it seems to me much more likely... That someone on the inside just got access from the intelligence collection side, not through a not through a criminal warrant, just through the intelligence collection process. Got this information and figured, oh wow, we can use this to embarrass a good man. And Flynn is Flynn is a good man. I know there are a lot of people that say that they don't like his managerial style, and he was fired by Obama. The guy served his country for decades, and uh, no one has ever been able to contend with any facts or, or evidence that he served anything other than honorably. So we just need to put that out there as well, because right now, he's gone through a humiliating ordeal. He's gone through humiliation, and the press just thinks they are so cute and clever over this. They never can tell you what the Trump contacts with Russia that are nefarious actually are. They, they don't have any. So they can get access to phone calls, but never anything that's bad. Don't you think we would have heard by now if the people that are leaking this stuff have access to the high side, the classified, which some of them clearly do. Don't we think then that we would be at a place where they could tell us what exactly these Russia connections really are? There's never any detail. It's just conjecture. This whole New York Times piece, they say, quote, the officials interviewed in recent weeks so far had seen no evidence of cooperation. So there's no cooperation. There's just senior administration officials who talk to people who maybe unbeknownst to them are Russian intelligence officers. And those of you who are slapping your knee and laughing, oh, unbeknownst to them, the Russian intelligence agencies operate very differently than American intelligence agencies. And the Russian security state is much more intertwined in every aspect of Russian life than what we deal with here. Although we do have our own deep state, clearly, and they have achieved their first political victory here. And they're pretty upfront about this, I should say. They don't have any evidence of any wrongdoing by—the best they can do is a possible violation of the Logan Act by Flynn, which is—that's laughable. They have no evidence of any wrongdoing so far to present on anyone else. Don't we think that it would be leaked if they did, clearly— But all the stories about Russia, we have to be so terrified of Russia. What are we going to do? And you've got uh, one of the CNN hosts uh, saying that this is a a big moment for journalism. Play it. Or I can tell you a bit about him. Uh, Mike Flynn resigning. This is Brian Stelter saying it. Do we have it? Let's play it. At and first, this was right in plain sight for a it while. Was, and by the, the DNI way, a of mine. moment for investigative journalism. Right. Very, this has been moment. a story led by the Washington Post, the New York yes. Times, the huge. CNNs of the world. Uh, if it weren't for journalists digging, digging, digging into this, we wouldn't know about it. So when you hear about anonymous sources, when you hear about leaks from the White right. House or from the government, right. this is and, what, what that's so important for. And we're seeing something. What What digging did they do? What fantastic journalism did this involve? You've got government sources that are leaking classified information about a private citizen making a phone call that was intercepted, most likely through intelligence collection methods as opposed to law enforcement methods, which means that leak is highly illegal. And it also means that now the standard for releasing classified information to the public, to the press, is does it embarrass your political enemies? If that's the path we think that we should be heading down, we are in for a very rude awakening, my friends. But the press thinks that this is is a moment for high fives. It is most definitely not. It is nonsense that they take that approach. All right, Buck Sexton with America Now has a whole lot more for you. We're going to be talking about uh, the dropout of... Uh, the Department of Labor's nominee. He's decided he's going to step aside. We'll get into that. We've also got some Russian missile talk to have and Harward, maybe the new National Security Advisor. I got a lot of show. Maybe even Trump preparing an executive order on the EPA. Ooh, got much more. Stay with me. Buck Sexton back with you now. Andrew Puzder has withdrawn his name for contention uh, or for the, the role of labor secretary. Uh, this is, of course, going to be reported on by the uh, left wing press and the mainstream press, which is really the same thing, I suppose. But I repeat myself. Uh as a victory for workers' rights or whatever the case may be. They really wanted to go after DeVos—I mean, they really wanted to do this to DeVos, too. They came close. As you know, Pence had to be the tiebreaker. But this is how the left plays the game now. And they have for a while, but with a Trump administration in office, now they don't hold back anything. Now nothing uh, nothing having to do with propriety or fair play or decency— even enters their minds. If they can take out somebody who is affiliated with Trump, they will do so. And here they have yet another one. Uh, we've talked about how the Flynn resignation was likely to embolden the media. I told you, you've got the media now high-fiving itself left and right over what's happened here. And the Flynn resignation was just the first of what will be many attempts, uh, successful and unsuccessful, to run people in the Trump administration out of town, uh, to destroy their reputations, to uh, honestly ruin their lives. That's supposed to be the punishment now for wanting to serve your country. Uh, this, this guy was the CEO of the company. Puzder was the CEO of the company that owns Hardee's and Carl, Carl's Jr., Fast food chains. And he had said some things in the past that uh, people didn't like, Democrats didn't like. I- I'm not familiar with everything that he said. Um, they, of course, hate his position on labor issues uh, because I- my guess would be he doesn't take a particularly workers of the world unite left wing perspective on these issues. And that alone makes him a horrible person in the eyes of the left. Um, he also uh, was accused and she recanted, but of course, that doesn't factor into the analysis. On the left, he was accused of domestic violence decades ago by his wife, never convicted, and she recanted, but it's still out there. So now decades-old slander is used to prevent him from serving his country as labor secretary. Um, You also have his—I'm not sure if it's alleged uh, or—yeah, they say the fact, so I'm assuming that must be true, but it is CNN— the fact that he employed an undocumented immigrant housekeeper. So th- this is the other part of this that you have to love. The Democrats want us to treat illegal immigrants, illegal aliens, as th- the same as everybody else in-, in every respect. I don't mean the golden rule, be nice to people, because, of course, you should be nice to everybody. But I mean, legally speaking, I mean, in terms of their rights they want them to have driver's licenses. They want them to have access to Obamacare. They don't want them to be deported. They want them to be able to stay. They probably want them to be able to vote. And there are at least 11 million, that's the consensus number, at least 11 million illegal aliens in the country. So, okay, Puzder employed one of them, and he's a bad guy. Well, I'm, I'm confused. Are they doing the jobs, you know, from the, from the Democrat perspective, are they doing the jobs Americans won't do? Are they serving a necessary purpose in our economy and we should treat them as though they're, as they're already part of the American family, just like citizens and everybody else? Is that the approach or, or is it you have to check and see if the documents, which may be forged that they show you, they may be fake documents. As we know, document fraud is one of the most common crimes for illegal immigrants. Are you supposed to then take it, what, down to the police station and say, are these real? Is this a real Social Security card? Has this been stolen from somebody? No, if you employ somebody in a domestic household capacity and it turns out later on that they are an illegal uh, alien, whether you knew or not, the Democrats will use this against you. So big employers that they don't want, they don't want enforcement. They don't want to verify. I mean, just I'm pointing out the inconsistencies in their approach to this issue and how they just will be, they'll they'll just play politics with it as much as they possibly can. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing to employ illegal aliens in this country? I don't think illegal aliens should be employed. And I think a majority of them, or a lot of them, maybe not a majority, a majority of them should have to go through a process that could involve deportation and certainly involves paying of back taxes. And I don't even, I don't know when we're going to get there. It might take years of rigorous enforcement of building a southern border wall, of E-Verify, of any number of things before we can even have the conversation about non-criminal illegal aliens in this country and what to do. That's really a years off conversation. It's not a right now conversation because you've also got to deal with visa overstays and there's a whole list of things that you have to address. But I just want to know from the Democrat side of things, are, are we helping people and helping them support their families and being good humanitarians by employing illegal aliens or are we exploiting them and we're bad? Because if we're exploiting them and we're bad, well, then they shouldn't be here because they can't work. And we don't want people here who aren't working, generally speaking, right? At least not when we're picking from the immigrant pool. But it doesn't... You look for consistency with the Democrat Party and you're going to be disappointed. That much is clear at this point. That much, I think, we've established any number of times, whether it has to do with leaking classified information to embarrass a senior government official. You know, Hillary and... or. Forget about Hillary for a second. The DNC emails and Podesta, they get hacked by a foreign Russian entity, probably Russian government sponsored or Russian government directed. And fine. And I have thought that was true all along. But we were told that was a major national security issue and we need to address that right away. But within our own government, there are people who are leaking information to the press that is classified, that exposes sources and methods. And that is a a deep violation of the privacy of a U.S. citizen. Which under any other under any non-Trump circumstances, would any of these journalists be making the case that if you or I were making a phone call and it somehow got drawn into the intelligence collection web, that then the government should be able to release that publicly just because it'll embarrass you or me because they don't like us? Oh, wow. Maybe they can do that with our web browser history and our emails. And where does it stop? That's what I would want to know. They don't have an answer for you but they're just hoping that you can stay fixated on how much you hate trump and if you don't well they don't really care what you think buck sexton with america now continues we got a lot more show i'll be right back
2: buck sexton with america now where there's always something to talk about where you can trade opinions with buck Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on.
3: Buck is back with you now. 844-900-2825 on the lines. 844-900-BUCK. B-U-C-K. 2825. Uh, Give me a ring. Let's chat. We're joined now by our friend David French. He is a staff writer for National Review and a senior fellow at the national review institute he's also a veteran of operation iraqi freedom david great to have you well thanks so much for having me so more stories today about russia and contact between the trump uh, the trump team whether we're talking about the administration or after the election and the and russian intelligence officers if they can get the contents of the conversation that flynn had with a, a, with the russian ambassador at this point, wouldn't they have something other than there's just contact? I mean, wh- when do we get actual evidence? Wh- when will they present me with something where I have to say, "Yeah, you're right. They were they were colluding with the Russians. This is a really big problem." I- I'm waiting for that. I feel like they should have it already, considering they're leaking classified information.
0: <laughs> well, we're all we're all waiting for that. I mean, I think that uh, it it depends on where where the calls were and the extent of the monitoring as to whether we're going to ever know what was actually said. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. That they at least have a transcript, if not a recording of the call that Flynn had with the ambassador. As far as any calls that, say, for example, Paul Manafort or Carter Page had during the campaign with, with officials in Russia, who knows if we have anything more than we just know the call was made or we know that there was some sort of contact and don't actually know the content. I mean we just we just don't know, but one telltale sign in the, in the New York Times piece is, uh, in, is that – so far, they don't have that evidence of collusion. I think, what, from what we know about the war between the intelligence community and the Trump administration right now, I think if they did have that evidence of collusion, it would have leaked. Um, but as of right now, I don't know that anyone has
3: that. I'm troubled, David, by the by the the sentiment that I'm picking up from all over the the media sphere over the last twenty four hours that anyone who says and you uh, you I know you served in the military and you served in Iraq you had a clearance right I had a clearance so uh, that, that anyone who's troubled by the leaking of classified information That involves a U.S. citizen making a private phone call in order to embarrass that person from inside the intelligence community, breaking federal law in the process, that any uh, uneasiness with that is just rooted in partisan hackery, being a Trumpster, (laughs) being a Trump machine, whatever. No, it's really not. I I, actually, I find this very troubling that this is something that people think is okay. It troubles me a lot more that the intel community might be playing those kinds of politics than that foreign hackers may be asking John Podesta for his password.
0: <laughs> you know, look, I mean, everyone, it, It's it's we're in this weird dichot- dichotomy where the Democrats say, well, there's only one thing that you can be concerned about, and the only thing you can be concerned about is whether Trump was influenced by the Russians, and that's the only conversation to have. And then you have some people saying, well, the only conversation to have is, is uh, whether the leaks are appropriate. You know, you can think about two things at the same time. <laughs> I can think that the leaks are inappropriate and probably illegal, and we don't want to be conducting trial by leak in this administration. And at the same time, you can say, well, I think there's enough evidence to conduct a proper investigation, one that doesn't depend on anonymous sourcing, that actually depends on a real legal process or constitutional process such as legislative oversight you can have those two thoughts in your mind at the exact same time.
3: You're right. They they want to force an, every discussion about Trump. It requires an immediate and absolutist polarization right away. <laughs> you have to be either right. you either. Everything Trump does is terrible or everything he does you love. And I know you don't do that, and I try very hard not to do that as well. But I just think it's been fascinating over the last 24 hours to see this play out. And, and I know I'm asking you to uh, analyze here and perhaps engage in a little bit of conjecture. But the missing piece of this for me has always been uh, with Flynn and with Trump. It's one thing for a head of, for, for the, uh, head of the National Security Council, or for the National Security Advisor, I should say, uh, one thing for him to be too favorably disposed towards a country that we don't like or that we have problems with. I, I could see that as, as an issue, and I'd be critical of that. But there really is a narrative out there that Flynn and Trump and others would more or less sell out America for the Russians. And that, if it's true— you're a patriot, David. I'm a patriot. It would be horrifying. I do not get any evidence of that. I, I have not seen anything that really supports that claim that many journalists have made and many certainly uh, pundits and analysts have made. And why would why would Trump do that? This is <laughs> I don't think he cares enough about Russia to get in, right. involved. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if you can help me work through that a little. You know,
0: I think the the sophisticated claim isn't that Trump hates his country so much that he would sell it out. I think the sophisticated claim is that the Russians, in some way, compromised him, so that his decision making is distorted by the knowledge that uh, Russia has some compromising information. That's the thing that we don't have any evidence of, though.
3: Right. Well, that but okay. see that then we then we get right back to where I am now. Where I'm saying where we're supposed to believe that, David, and clearly a lot of people in the press do believe that, and they're frothing right. at the mouth for it. But as you say, and I'm just sitting here reciting the facts that you and I both can agree on. It, it it hasn't not only does it not exist, but they had the dossier which was there was false information in the dossier, as we know. So when are we supposed to say there's an effort here that's not based in fact that's just meant to destroy the president of the United States?
0: Well, right. And and you know, the dossier, in fact, before BuzzFeed just sort of vomited it out into the public, people were looking into it to see if it would check out. And the salacious details, the ones that were damaging, were not checking out at all yet BuzzFeed just still put it out on the internet which is very very troubling. I mean look, here what we have going on right now is this war of leaks. And it's anonymous leak after anonymous leak. Some of them check out, some of them like there were problems with Flynn not telling disclosing things to others in the administration that apparently checked out. Some of them are completely bogus like this notion that Donald Trump was seriously threatening Mexico with an invasion. Remember that was a
3: Police was that a thing? America. I didn't even know that was a thing.
0: Oh, you, did you miss that one? I missed
3: that one. I must have been on vacation that day.
0: <laughs> the news cycles are coming so fast and furious, it's hard to keep track of them all. No, there was this this uh, alleged leak of a partial transcript of the call with the Mexican president where Trump uh, said he would send troops to Mexico if they couldn't take care of their bad dudes or bad hombres. And it was all sides of the that were participating in the conversation say that there was no threat to send troops to Mexico to straighten out Mexico's problems, and yet that, was, uh, that took over Twitter for, uh, for a while. I mean, so some stuff checks out. Some, some of it doesn't. Some of it's actively misleading, and because all of it's based on anonymous sourcing, you and I and people who are not talking to these sources have no way of judging how accurate it is or the motivations of the leaker, just none. It's, it's extremely dangerous as a method for evaluating an administration and, and incentivizing people to leak more.
3: And not only—all I, I, of that is true, and then you add on to it that some of the major news outlets that are the most obviously and virulently anti-Trump, anti-Trump administration have run with some really flimsy and, in some cases, fake or false stories that are always damaging the Trump administration, and those same reporters and journalists react to any skepticism over more anti-Trump reporting that has to do with this Russia stuff. And look, do I think that the Trump White House has communication issues and they got to learn on the job? And they, Yeah, I've, from what I remember also, the Clinton administration had some problems in the other days too, but the stuff about Russia and the Manchurian candidate and the Kremlins controlling him, and all this is like, wh- when do I get to say, you guys have to give me more than you're giving me or else I don't want to hear this anymore? I- I'm pretty much already at that point. I, I need new well, information. The New York Times main story today, that wasn't new information.
0: Right. The only thing that was remotely new about it, because it was before Trump was sworn in, they had, they had indicated that investigations were ongoing based on intercepts and financial transactions. That goes all the way back to January before Trump was sworn in. And going back to August, before, well before the election, they talked about having found uh, ledger and entries potentially indicating that, that Paul Manafort had been paid by pro-Russian Ukrainian parties $12 million-plus dollars uh, all of this was available – has been available for a while. The only thing that was new is it feels to me like the, um, the, the next little small turn of this was that they were characterizing these as very repeated and constant communications that the president-elect, when, when President Trump was president-elect, was briefed in on, which if that's the case, it makes Sean Spicer saying yesterday that there were no contacts. Uh, to be a really puzzling statement and and that's the thing that gets me is why why do they keep saying no contacts while all of these leaks are saying we have intercepts of contacts somebody's not telling the truth here
3: absolutely and and i want to know you know what's going although if it requires leaking perhaps signals intelligence collection i actually don't think the public should know about that but that's uh, that Because where does that stop and start? When now right. all of a sudden the standard becomes, well, if it's going to really help one political party or the other, yeah, then the felony statutes about leaking top secret information no longer apply. And and individual citizens don't have constitutional rights anymore. They, you can just collect on them and there's, there's no warrant needed. And, and I think that's very dangerous. But behind all of this has to be a narrative. And I think the narrative is pretty clear as to what they're trying to construct about Trump. And so I just want to ask you if, if this is what you think the implication of all this reporting that CNN, The Washington Post, The New York Times go down the line that all of them are doing is that the Trump team was colluding with Russian intelligence and the Russian government and Vladimir Putin to defeat Hillary. And there's a quid pro quo. And now he's in Russia's pocket. That's that's really what they're trying to say. Right. They don't have evidence yet, but that's what they're trying to say.
0: I I think that would be sort of the narrative. That's what the narrative is building towards. And if it's not that Trump's in Russia's pocket, it's that just quite simply they colluded out of each other's self-interest, that Trump wanted Russian help uh, in, in gaining more intelligence and information about Hillary Clinton and, and the Russian government wanted Hillary Clinton to lose. I mean, that, that would be one, one turn of it, but I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, that's where the narrative is building towards. And, you know, that, that's, that's the thing that I think um, – and, and here's, the th- here's the problem that Trump has, though. He now has had three aides, Manafort, Carter Page, and Michael Flynn, resign uh, or be fired in part because of these Russian connections. And all of that, once you combine it with the Trump people saying things that are turning out not to be true, feeds this frenzy. And you really hit the nail on the head when you're saying they've got to get better at communicating here because – Right now they're doing things and behaving in a way that is feeding all of this, and they, they should not be doing that. My, uh, Rich Lowry said uh, the, the Flynn debacle was like the cover-up of no crime, um, that what, what Flynn had done was not improper, but then they're not forthcoming about it.
3: Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with Rich. I think part of the problem here is that the, Trump, that, that, that the whole Trump phenomenon occurred when he had opponents to always punch back at. And he's going to – even the Trump administration will exhaust itself if it's constantly punching at the media. There has to be something else. And if they give the media stuff to work with, then they're going to be on the defensive, no matter how aggressive uh, Trump and his top advisors like to be. But we're we're going to run into time here, David, so i I uh, got to stop it there. But please come back soon. David French is staff writer for National Review. Read his latest at nationalreview.com. And he is David A. French on Twitter. Thank you very much for calling in, David. Good to talk to you.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
3: Phones are open. 844-900-2825. Buck Sexton continues. Just stay with me. Buck Sexton, back with you all now. Thank you so much for joining. Great to have you here in the Freedom Hut, as always. And uh, Team Buck, if you're out there and you got a minute, give me a call. 844-900-2825. Mike in Massachusetts You're on the Buck Sexton show, sir What is up?
4: Uh, Thank you for taking my call, Buck Um, I was just Calling tonight to say That the uh, the So-called wall that uh, President Trump would like To build There's a technology out there that's not really all that outdated at this point, uh, called the Invisible Fence, which was basically um, created some time back uh, for the use of uh, animals such as cows, dogs, cats, and things like that. And the concept that it's based on is that it uses... um, lasers, and along with cameras and beefed-up security, it would be a cost-effective and uh, quality way to uh, police the border, uh, both long-term and short-term.
3: No, I think a wall would have to be... um uh, sorry, I, I cut out there for a second. I, I hit the cough button and sneezed. I'll be totally honest, with you, Mike. I practically uh, banged my head on the uh, on the mic stand here. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, you were talking about the fence, and you were saying that there was uh, there are there's electronic measures, and it's a combination. I mean, absolutely. That's what it. I think that's what everybody who wants a fence thinks it would be. It's not just going to be a big brick wall. And I really don't. This this it, this is the weak sauce you hear from people about how. Oh well, if you build a ten-foot fence, I'll show you a twelve-foot ladder. That's true of literally every security procedure, every security measure that I can think of, whether it's counterterrorism or immigration or anything else. Right? I mean, this is like saying, well, why, why put up a, a Jersey barrier? You know, one of those concrete barriers you see a lot in in the war zones, because you know that they'll just they'll just lob in a mortar round. Well, you want to stop suicide trucks from running into the base or running into the facility and blowing it up. Right. So it's not supposed to be perfect. fence wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a panacea. It's not going to be a catch all or a cure all, but it's a start. And without offense, you got big problems because how are you going to control your border if people can come across and everyone I've talked to, including former border patrol officers says that the, the numbers they have, are inaccurate and there's still a lot of legal crossings happening and i also don't buy this net migration is zero thing we've been told because the economy I, I just don't buy it i, I don't believe it uh, right now is a good time to come to america and there's a lot of benefits here and lot, lots of programs and hillary wanted to give illegals obamacare and that was on her website i'm not making that up so mike i i hear you on that man and we'll keep taking a look at the fences thanks for calling in from wkox great to have you sir melvin in alabama on wbuv what is up sir
5: Hey, how you doing, Buck?
3: Good, good. Thank you for calling.
5: Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard you say several times, and you and other uh, uh, radio hosts say that
6: um, the media and whoever leaked this information about Michael Flynn was uh, was embarrassing him. And uh, I just feel like Trump is the only one that actually embarrassed him because, as, as uh, Crowdhammer said before, this is a cover-up of no crime. And if there was no crime, then, then Trump should have left him on as an advisor. And no one would be talking about this.
3: Well, but this is why. Yeah, but Melvin, this is why I thought earlier in the week. I, I said the night before the or the night of the resignation a few hours before that I, I put it at about 50-50 because I figure that Trump, who's a guy who's all about, he's he, well, very concerned with loyalty. He did get rid of Manafort and also, uh, what's the guy's name, the campaign manager that he had there that went on to, he's not CNN. Lou Who? Yeah, Lewandowski. You thank Lewandowski? you, sir. Yes, Lewandowski. Exactly. So he he did get rid of some people. It's not like he just stays with people all the time. Um, but I, I was surprised that that Flynn that Flynn went here. I, I was because what what okay, what is it? Yeah, what that's... purpose does it serve? Although maybe there were some other things behind the scenes as well, Melvin, that we haven't been told as much about. Yeah.
5: Exactly. Yeah. Well, well that's my. point. I mean, I really think that there's something else going on because uh, you know they said
6: that he misled. Uh, I really do think the guy is just case though, Bill. I think there was I think he was directed by Trump to uh, have that conversation and they didn't expect anybody to find out and when people found out he had to go.
3: Yeah, I mean look it was Trump's call, that is fair to point out, it, it is the case. So it was Trump's call to get rid of him and I, I know the media created the frenzy around it and they were they were all in on trying to get, get a senior administration Scalp, but uh, at the end of the day, it was Trump, so we got to figure that something went wrong there. Maybe it was just the siege mentality, too much pressure. But uh,
2: the things that matter most in your day to day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's that's why. that's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now, sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton.
3: All right, Team Buck, welcome back to Buck Sexton with America Now. Great to have you, as always. A pleasure and an honor to get to hang out with you today. 844-900-2825. 900-2825, the number. If you're on hold, stay with me. If you want to call in, we'd love to chat with you about whatever is on your mind from the news cycle here at home around the world. We are joined now by my friend Rebecca Heinrichs. She is a fellow at the Hudson Institute specializing in in Nuclear Deterrence, Missile Defense, and Counterproliferation. Rebecca, great to have you.
7: Good to be here. Thanks, Beck.
3: So with all the stories on Russia, uh, some of them so breathless, I'm wondering when the Russian invasion is going to come. It feels like it could be days, based on what I see in the New York Times, the Washington Post lately. But with all the stories on Russia, there was one that got some, but not that much attention, and I know it's right in your wheelhouse, and you can walk us through this. And that has to do with the Russians deploying a missile system the SSC-8, in violation of a long-standing treaty. First of all, what is going on here? What What have the Russians done, and what's this treaty, and why does it matter?
7: Sure, this is probably the most important thing that Russia is doing right now, and it should be preoccupying, and I do think it is preoccupying all of the time and attention of our national security professionals, um, despite what you might read and see on Twitter and in the news. Um, so in 1987, um, President Reagan negotiated the INF Treaty, and that treaty was the close of the Cold War, and what it did was it completely abolished a whole class of offensive missiles, nuclear-capable missiles, nuclear missiles, and there were cruise missiles, and they had a particular range, and the reason that range is important is because it put much of NATO at at risk of a nuclear attack. And so these these particular uh, missiles were, were categorically eliminated, both by the, the United States and Russia, And what we have seen is under the Obama administration, actually, the Russians started testing these cruise missiles. And um, the Obama administration didn't tell Congress for a while because it wanted to pass another arms control treaty. And so it sort of like, you know, just kept, you know, lying about it and hiding this information. Finally, it came out and said, yes, the Russians are testing this missile. Well, now we know the Russians are deploying this missile. Um, So they're in – flagrant violation of this treaty. It's a really serious thing. It's it's escalatory. So they're they're becoming more provocative and they're threatening NATO. Um, So it's a very serious uh, thing. And I'm sure the Trump administration is looking for ways with General Mattis, that the Secretary of Defense, to try to de-escalate the situation and get the Russians in compliance.
3: And the ways that we could respond to this on the military side involve, what, deployment of Sea-based nuclear missiles to count to to balance out what the Russians have done. Uh, my understanding is that the, the this may the, the reason the Ru- Russians may be doing this is one the SSC-8 looks enough like the Iskander missile system that they can kind of play games and it's like well which one is it is it the, which is allowed right so is it the Iskander or is it the SSC-8 so they'll keep uh, they'll keep any. Uh, collection platforms we have looking at this busy and then if there's a diplomatic exchange they'll be like oh the is- it's the Iskander it's not the SSC eight but this allows them then to focus some of their strategic nuclear uh, weapons at us as opposed to Europe and and uh, and Asia and China is that is is that the, the the military aspect of this what does this give them what does this add to their toolkit
7: it does so what this does is if they can if they can have these um, offensive missiles ready to go and deployed it will free up their other strategic systems to actually threaten them against the United States. That's the big worry for us, apart from just being a member of NATO. Um, And that's right, they sort of play this cat and mouse thing where they'll deploy them and then we'll call them out on it and then they'll say that they're not that missile, it's an Iskander missile. They'll also point the finger at the United States and accuse the United States of violating this treaty, which is categorically false. The United States is not violating the treaty. So this is what the Russians do. Um, They don't abide by treaties, and the the 1987 INF Treaty is the the very uh, latest iteration of them violating the treaty. Now, yeah, the United States can do a couple of different things. Um, We can deploy missile defense systems pretty quickly to try to just protect our NATO um, allies. Those are purely defensive. Um, Or we can um, try to deploy some more offensive weapons to NATO. NATO has historically been very reluctant to do that, but Now is the time to get over their reluctance. It looks like we're going to have to do that just to show the Russians that they can't get away with this. Um, But this is important to remember, too. The Obama administration constantly bragged about the New START Treaty. And you will. this is a follow-on treaty um, that deals with strategic systems. And the arms control folks and folks on the left will constantly talk about how great this treaty is. President Trump was recently... Um, reported as telling the Russians that the new start treaty was a bad treaty for the United States and he's right and one of the reasons that is and this is important with the INF treaty it doesn't include tactical nuclear weapons that's the short-range stuff that we're talking about here so not only are the Russians violating the INF treaty but they also have a 10 to 1 advantage of tactical nuclear weapons to the United States and NATO and so we really are sort of being caught flat-footed here and trying to respond to this treaty violation So the Trump administration has a lot of catch-up to do. Um, I'm hopeful that this is sort of a wake-up call with this latest violation. Um, But, you know, our our military options really are limited in what we can do quickly to sort of counter what the Russians
3: are doing. When you mention that tactical nuclear weapon advantage, nuclear missile advantage that the Russians have, so is, is that, for, for everyone listening, does that mean that, okay, yeah, maybe the, the treaty governs intercontinental, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles that will leave the atmosphere, come back down, uh, but if you're talking about tactical nuclear missiles, this is the stuff that, if they were to say, I don't know, invade Latvia at some point in the future, they don't need to go that far with the missiles if they're shooting at stuff that's in the Baltics.
7: That's right. Well, they don't have to go as far and they don't have to go. They don't have to have a big boom. They'll have a a small they can use a smaller boom. They can use a smaller yield. And so what the United States, um, you know, one of the reasons it's at a disadvantage is if we were to respond, which we have to Article 5 of NATO requires us to respond and we would want to um, to deter Russia from striking again. But let's say Russia does use one of these lower yield, short range tactical nuclear weapons. The united states is going to want to respond but we don't have anything on hand with a low enough yield that would make sense and if we use one of our big bombs on an icbm that's going to escalate the situation really quickly and we're going to go from a you know some uh, you know very horrible horrific but short-lived nuclear exchange to one that could be very very bad um and so you know the 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 Trump administration's got to have a, a short-term fix to what what they're doing right now with the Russians but they're going to have to do have a plan for the medium term and the longer term over the next 4 to 8 years.
3: Is this the what should the administration this is the last one I, I'll I'll ask you back before we let you get back to everything else you got to do. Uh what should the administration it's very early on still. They've got all kinds of problems that have nothing to do with this, but as you point out from a national security perspective, this is actually very meaningful, much more meaningful than uh, whether one official said something to another official that turned out not to be true and they're having an intra-White House squabble over it. Uh, What should the White House do as a result of this deployment of the SSC-8 Russian nuclear missile system?
7: Well, um, you know, I think right away we've got uh, Secretary of Defense uh, Mattis going to NATO, and I think he has to make it very, very clear, again, reiterate uh, the United States' commitment to Article Five make it very, very clear so that the Russians hear it, that anything that the Russians do offensively to one of our NATO allies, that the United States will make sure that they regret it immediately, quickly. Um, And that includes um, nuclear response, if need be. Um, And then the United States should quickly deploy um, nuclear-capable bombers. You know, we've been rotating some bombers in Europe, but we got to make sure they go back to the United States and load up so that the Russians can see that we're putting nukes on them, and then we need to head back to Europe. And NATO's got to get on board with this. I know they're reluctant to um, to have more nuclear weapons deployed in the NATO territories, but now's the time to show that you know we've got some steel and and we're not going to let the Russians um, you know continue to coerce and uh, threaten the United States and NATO. So those those would be my quick um, pieces of advice. Obviously, you'd like to do whatever you can to deter them with conventional non nuclear forces, but at this point, if they're talking about nukes you really got to make sure that they know that we're serious and they're not going to get away with it.
3: Rebecca Heinrichs is a fellow at the Hudson Institute specializing in nuclear deterrence, missile defense, and counterproliferation. Go to Hudson.org for more of her work. Rebecca, great to have you. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Buck. All right, Team Buck, 844-900-2825. On the phones. We've got the lines getting lit up in here like a Christmas tree. Have all of you gotten rid of your Christmas trees? I feel like probably... Right, They would have already turned into a fire hazard at this point. It's been a while. Okay, we'll be back right after this break. Buck is back with you now, 844-900-2825. We got Frank in Louisiana online. Frank, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show.
1: Hey, hey. hey how you doing? I wanted to chime in on the uh, Flynn dismissal, being uh, dismissed. I think that uh, he was dismissed because he embarrassed the vice president in public due to the information that he had given him about his call to Russia. And I think that Flynn was a target by um, Obama's people in the intelligence agency because of what – because Flynn was so critical of – Obama, that he didn't really like the way that Flynn was going to run the agency and that he was so brass and everything. And I think it was just uh, the fact that uh, it was just vindictiveness on Obama's part that this was in the works, uh, right? <laughs> when it, found- it is
3: worth noting, Frank, that, that this is an individual – who, granted, was asked to leave, but had been the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is not some small, unimportant post, under the Obama administration, right? So now we're, now everyone acts like they, they pulled this, you know, the, the, this lunatic uh, off the street from somewhere, and he doesn't know anything, and, you know, he's crazy, and he's in the pocket of Russia. Meanwhile, he was a, not only a career military officer, but was a senior, a senior official in the intelligence community under Obama, and now he has... had a senior job under Trump, but he was a very big target, a very big target for the media because, one, he challenged them on this whole, let's not talk about radical Islam thing. He also was critical of the intelligence community for being largely asleep at the wheel on the rising threat of ISIS, which did turn into an invasion force that swept into Iraq, that seized Mosul, that at one point looked like it was just on the outskirts of Baghdad and didn't hear a lot in the in the run-up to that from the intel community about the largest jihadist army on the march in decades. Uh, so, you got all that together. And But here's what Trump said about Flynn. I wanted to play this, uh, Frank, while I got you on the phone. Play clip uh, 20. Do we have it?
4: Flynn, General Flynn, is a wonderful man. I think he's been treated very, very unfairly by the media, um, as I call it, the fake media in many cases. And uh, I think it's really a sad thing that he was treated so badly. I think in addition to that, uh, from intelligence, uh, papers are being leaked, things are being leaked. It's criminal action, criminal act. And it's been going on for a long time, before me. But now it's really going on. And people are trying to cover up for a terrible loss that the Democrats had under Hillary Clinton.
3: Frank, he says all that, and I agree with him about the leaks. But then again, he asked for Flynn's resignation. What do you make of that?
1: Well, I think that decision was very wrong because it gives it gives the left... Uh, more confidence in going out to somebody else in his cabinet or his administration, and I think, I think if the man was guilty of something, why don't they release the whole transcript of the conversation of the telephone call, which itself is disturbing, knowing that the NCS is now monitoring private citizens' phone calls. Because the phone call happened before this man was even in an administration, correct?
3: Yes, and and keep in mind that this isn't metadata. We're talking about transcript, which means an intercept, which uh, either means that there was a law enforcement warrant out on the soon-to-be national security advisor, which I find—or a wiretap, I should say, but a law enforcement-based wiretap, which would necessitate probable cause— very. you know. Imagine that sign off. I mean, that's going to go up to the attorney general level. You're going to the incoming national security advisor has his phone tapped or it comes in through intelligence collection, meaning that it's just part of what the preexisting priorities are within the intel community to look to get the Russian ambassador's phone and, and other obvious high profile intel collection targets. But that's then very sensitive stuff that is extra legal in a sense in its collection and that it's a U.S. citizen that's caught up in that. You could never use that in a court of law. You could never uh, you're not supposed to ever release that information publicly. But that's exactly what happened here. And it's deeply disconcerting to anyone who's being honest about it, that that they would leak uh, what would be if it comes from signals intelligence, top secret information just to, they didn't leak top secret information, Frank. As you know, that Flynn had covered up a you know a massacre of three hundred people somewhere. They leaked information that Flynn talked to the Russian ambassador. and was like, yeah, we're gonna have some good stuff going on when we take over. It'll you know high five. Uh-huh. Not not exactly keeping me up at night in a cold sweat.
1: Well, let me ask you this: Do you think that
3: you can ask me anything, Frank? Go ahead. That
1: Flynn would have, after everything's said and done, and he goes and testify or whatever the Democrats want to do to him, and he's proven innocent, does he have any legal recourse for his civil rights to be violated Hmm. while he was a a, a private citizen? Well, you know, I think... uh, Are you you asking (laughs) me, is is
3: there a lawsuit that Flynn could bring based on the government improperly disclosing his private phone call? The answer to uh, that is I don't know, but I need to think about that a little bit. Not that that would uh, really change all that much, but I appreciate the question because it is interesting here. If the federal government is collecting your information and then the federal government willfully has somebody who releases that, shouldn't the federal government be liable? You would think so. Exactly. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I just play one on radio, but I'm, I'm usually pretty good about this stuff. Most. I usually beat most lawyers I know in arguments about the law, which is always fun.
1: Well, I think I think there's enough people that's disgusted with the mere fact of what the left has been doing, that a Kickstarter program could be started up for a legal defense for Flynn. I, th- I think he would get you know enough money to defend himself from court and it wouldn't cost him you know him anything you know because he served his country, you know already. You know yeah. the man should be you know rewarded. And I think uh, I think people are you know saying well. Trump shouldn't have let him go. He praised him and everything. Well, you know that's Trump. He he's going to he's
3: going to yeah he's going to try to ease his he's going to try to give him a, a soft landing at least after kicking him out of the White House. So I can understand that. But Frank in L.A., my man, Shields High. Thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Uh, by the way, I, I've been saying things like they're insinuating there's more. They indicate, and I know that sometimes I get Facebook messages from people or or they email me and Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton if you want to give me a message or tell me what you think of the show, share ideas. Uh, my team and I are always in there reading up on everything and trying to respond and certainly reading everything we can and, and responding whenever we can as well. Uh, you can also go to America Now radio and we've got uh, Facebook there too. So uh, but I, I say this and then people say well what or they respond with give us some examples. I got an example for you Maxine Waters. W- Congresswoman Maxine Waters is saying that it's that that Flynn is just the the tip of the iceberg let us play that one it is twenty seven
5: forced out last uh,
3: night what do you
8: think
9: well about time uh as a matter of fact michael flynn has a reputation as being a liar uh and someone that cannot be trusted i was just looking over some of his background and i was reminded about him getting security clearance for his son and then lying about it so i've always believed that there's been collusion Uh, between uh, the Trump uh, outfit here and uh, Russia and the Kremlin. And so I think this is the tip of the iceberg.
3: The tip of the iceberg. Collusion. Collusion, she says, between Trump and the Kremlin. And that Flynn is just the... Remember, that, that. this is not... When I say that the narrative is that Trump worked with the Kremlin to subvert a U.S. election, he's an illegitimate president, he's a cheater, he should go to prison, and he's a traitor... That is what they are trying to tell you all the time in the media, the Democrat, and the Democratic Party. This is a sitting U.S. Congresswoman. I- I'm not exaggerating. I'm not hyping this up. This is what they think. This is what they believe. is what they want you to believe too. And if it were true, I'd be saying, "Yeah, we we got a we got a we got a crisis on our hands here. We got we got to find a way to handle the situation." But I have still to this day seen read heard zero evidence that proves that donald trump or any of his top aides were actively working with the russian government to subvert the election told them to hack the dnc emails any of that i and they can get a lot of things so we'll be back in just a minute
2: Buck Sexton with America Now, where there's always something to talk about, where you can trade opinions with Buck. Not sure you'll win, though. Just call 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. All right, Buck, you're on.
3: The Buck is back. Thank you so much for being with me. 844-900-2825 on those lines. 844-900-2825. We've got Caitlin Collins on the line. She is the Daily Caller's White House correspondent. You can read her latest at dailycaller.com. Caitlin, congrats on the White House gig. I actually saw you uh, during one of the press conferences.
10: Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. And I think a congratulations is in order for you as well.
3: Look! Look at us—just just two kids working our way up in the world. All right, national syndication <laughs> for me, and White House correspondent for you. And in the, you know, right right there with the uh, the people that Spicy is yelling at and everything. You're right in this. You're right in the mix.
10: Yeah, I'm right there, bearing the brunt of it.
3: What? Give me before I want to ask you about a couple of, of specific exchanges between the administration and the media in just a second. But what, what's it like being in? Give us a little bit of the 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 you know. What's it like behind the scenes there? How, how is it to be a White House reporter? You're just your first—must be your first couple of weeks doing this.
10: Yeah, it is my first couple of weeks. I'm less than a month in, I've been there as long as Donald Trump has been in the White House. Uh, it's very exhilarating, actually. I'm really enjoying it. It's fun. A lot of complaints from people who've been there, you know, for ten, fifteen years, because there are so many changes being made that they're not used to.
3: Oh, uh, that's what we're going to talk like to you about. So, are, are are some of them? Are are they a little? Uh, is it a little bit like the high school lunchroom, where the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ABC News are all on one side, and the other side it's like Breitbart, Daily Caller, uh, CBN. I mean, is is there some of that vibe, or they at least at least does everyone kind of just sit wherever they sit?
10: Um, it's a little bit like that. Everyone's pretty nice to one another in the briefing room. You know, it's nothing catty or anything, but it does get a little heated. You know, when certain people don't get questions, which I'm sure you've seen. That's been a story in the media lately. There are people who are used to getting questions, like the wires, the oh, networks. CNN.
3: Oh, we 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 didn't even coordinate this with you beforehand, Caitlin. And that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. You are a White House correspondent. You're right there in the press pool, and some of them, including CNN's Jim Acosta, are not happy about the way this is going down. Play clip. Yes, please. The
2: two questions that were
6: uh, asked uh, or, or called upon from uh, the president in this news conference went to the Christian Broadcasting Network, uh, which is obviously owned by Pat Robertson, the televangelist down in Virginia. It's a very conservative uh, broadcasting network. And townhall.com, which is a very conservative news website. And so in the last three news conferences, Wolf, all of the questions to the American news media have have been handled by conservative press. And I, I think, Wolf, there's no other way to describe it
8: but the fix is in.
3: Oh, the fix. First of all, I love how he has to describe the ownership of these different media outlets like, oh, okay. So do we get to talk about how the owner, do we get to talk about how Carlos Slim owns a huge stake in the New York Times? And maybe, just maybe that affects the New York Times' coverage of immigration a little bit. Anyway, what's your response to this, the fixes in comment, Ms. Collins?
10: Yeah, Jim Acosta is very unhappy with how things are playing out for him because he's not getting the access that he's used to. Even though he had a question at the briefing this week on Tuesday, he's still not happy that the wires and the networks and the outlets that he's used to getting questions aren't getting questions. So, you know, he's going on air he's complaining about it. But it's funny enough because when Barack Obama was in office for eight years, you didn't see those same, you know, left leaning outlets complaining that none of their right wing outlets were getting questions or or like no one was going on air, you know, saying who owned them. But you know, nowadays they can't even say the New York Post without saying that it's right. owned by the This
3: reminds me of when I when I was a, a CNN contract employee and they would introduce me sometimes as Buck Sexton from Glenn Beck's The Blaze, and they would just sort of, you know, I'm like, oh, so now we have to not only say my affiliation, but the ownership of my affiliation. I I just, I feel like they should introduce people from The New York Times as, you know, the partially Carlos Slim-owned New York Times. I think that would be, or, you know, Jeff Bezos' Washington Post, or we could go down the list with this, but they did that. They also do things like saying conservative political commentator Buck Sexton and political analyst Van Jones. That actually would happen. I'd say, wait a second, Van Jones... Does he have a political uh, bent? Is is there? Does he have any sort of opinion? No, no, he he's just straight down the middle. That guy with his "I was a communist in law school" stuff. Anyway, um, I want to, but but. Your, your point is well taken here which is that if the fix is in because right leaning and by the way Town hall is not very conservative it's just conservative <laughs> but the exactly. but if the fix is in with this then the fix was in for all eight years of the Obama administration when he was just and Jay Carney and uh the guy after Josh Ernest uh, was, was it Josh Ernest yeah yeah uh just getting one yeah. high five after another from ABC NBC CBS CNN MSNBC etc et etc cetera, et cetera.
10: Exactly. No, you're completely right, Buck. And, you know, the Obama administration made a point of ignoring Fox News. Like when they did their they sent out their administration officials to do the Sunday talk show, they would sometimes entirely skip Fox News. And they would say they weren't they would go on there sometimes, but they weren't going to legitimize it as a news channel. So that's a very pointed statement and a very you know, a prominent network with, you know, an obvious audience. If you know, if Donald, you know Donald Trump is coming out about CNN and he's a fascist who wants you know control the media and only have a certain message get out, but Barack Obama made the same comments and he was praised for those, so it's just a little bit of hypocrisy, which is nothing new in the media. And there's no surprise that the media is at an all time low with its approval rating with you know the regular 300 million people who live in America that don't care if the media if CNN doesn't get a question, you know, regular people. Who so voted for Trump and got him in office don't care that Jim Acosta is not getting a question at the briefing.
3: Now, did it surprise you at all when uh, Andrew Puzder, the the would have been but now has stepped aside uh, nominee for uh, labor secretary? Uh, did it surprise you that this didn't go through? I mean, I know that there are people who are saying that he, you know, he had made some dumb statements in the past. He had employed an illegal. He's actually very pro immigration in a way that conflicts with Trump administration, uh, or at least the exactly. Trump campaign's policy, but he was good on the no $15 minimum wage. He realizes that just means people are going to go uh, be collecting unemployment checks in many cases, uh, but mm-hmm. th- there was the ex-wife domestic abuse thing. W- did this surprise you, and have you been covering this one?
10: Yes, I have. So uh, Andrew Puzzer's ex-wife went on the Oprah Winfrey show in nineteen ninety, three three years after they had been divorced. She was in disguise, wore sunglasses and a wig, but she made allegations that he had abused her when they were married. And, you know, she talked about how they were divorced. Oh, you wait, hold on.
3: We've actually, Caitlin, we've got person. the clip. Let me, let me play the clip and then you can tell us what happened. Go ahead.
9: Okay. My ex-husband was a public figure. Everyone knew him and knew what he was doing. And once I made that public, he, he vowed revenge. He said, I will see you in the gutter. This will never be over. You will pay for this. I wound up losing everything, mm-hmm. everything. I have nothing. He has a Porsche and a Mercedes Benz. He has the home. He has everything. He was an attorney, and he knew how to play the 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 system. Mm-hmm. I was married for 14 years.
3: So what's, what's the reality of all this? Is what she's saying true? I, I had read that she had recanted.
10: Yeah, so she later said she regretted even going on the show, period. Eight months after that interview, she retracted her allegations during a, a child custody battle between the two of them and she said she made allegations in order to gain leverage in her divorce but and when those, and those were released yesterday and made public so that those tapes came out the same day that he withdrew his nomination because he said he just did it. he couldn't take what his family was being put through and he withdrew his nomination but it also became came the same day that you know sources and a GOP senator who remained anonymous was saying that at least 12 republican senators at a minimum were going to withhold their support from his nomination. So he really had no option but to withdraw.
3: This is also uh, just reminds me, Caitlin, of how people don't really know this, and I think they should, that Barack Obama's favorite political maneuver when he was running for first state senator and then senator from Illinois was he had not one but two of his uh, political opponents sealed divorce records unsealed that uh, and i believe it was david axelrod at the at at, at whatever his paper was in chicago was the chicago tribune i can't remember um but went and petitioned a judge to unseal the divorce records and they he did that twice in order to defeat political opponents so people always present this image of barack obama squeaky clean above reproach you know a guy who never would do anything wrong and you know no actually he unsealed divorce records two times of these opponents
10: yeah, it shows you just how ugly politics really is. That they will dig up things that you did twenty years ago, or even didn't do. In this case, you know, just things that she alleged that he did, and that's something that brought him down, which we saw today. It's been a very chaotic week for Donald Trump's, you know, cabinet officials and nominations.
3: Yeah, we have uh, we have the uh Harward former Navy Seal um Harward is supposed to be now taking over his NSA. Do you have any updates on that?
10: Yeah, so he has. He reportedly been offered the job by Donald Trump himself, but it wasn't immediately clear if he was going to accept. He said he needed to take a few hours to think it over, or maybe a few days. So it hasn't. It's not clear if he's going to accept after Michael Flynn resigned on no Monday.
3: Yeah, much. look, uh, this is Vice Admiral Harward would have to understand that he's a he's. I'm sure he's just been a a patriot and and a, and a warrior and a public servant his whole life. And even if he tried to bring that ethos and that alone into the role of NSA, because he's attached to Trump, they're going to go after him with everything they've got. The media is going to, you know, if if he gave somebody a wedgie in the seventh grade and hasn't apologized, we're going to hear about it.
10: Exactly. And, uh, you know, there was the piece, you know, the political assassination of Mike Flynn, which is what a lot of people saw this as. And, you know, people were skeptical of why he was in so much trouble over the phone call and misleading Vice President Pence, and even today during his meeting at the White House with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Trump said that he thinks that Michael Flynn has been treated very, very unfairly by the media, which he called the fake media, which I guess is his you know, new nickname for the outlets that he doesn't like. He used to call them fake news, but now they're fake media. But even he said that he thought Mike Flynn was treated unfairly and you know that there was just leaks that brought him down, which he called a criminal act.
3: Caitlin Collins is the Daily Caller's White House correspondent. Congrats, Caitlin. That's awesome. Uh, everybody should go check out her pieces and her colleagues at dailycaller.com. Caitlin, we'll have you back uh, next week if you're around, so we'll talk to you soon.
10: Sounds good. Thank you, Bob.
3: All right, take care. Uh, phone lines are open 844 900 2825. The Freedom Hut is a rockin We'll be right back. All right, Team Buck, you're lighting up the lines. Let's take some calls. We have uh, Dave in Virginia calling on, uh listening in on WKCI. Dave, great to have you.
5: Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm intrigued by a couple of things. One, uh, Flynn being from the intel community, the three-letter agencies, if he had that or having had that conversation, even as a private citizen, would he have not probably known, suspected, Known that his call would have been intercepted and likely recorded because he is from that world, if in fact he, or from a call to the Russian ambassador, number one. So then, you know, if that's the case, it, you know, what does that do in terms of his reaction that he withdrew knowing that he, his call was recorded, it's there? But the other thing you mentioned in, in, that was intriguing was uh, if it was brought through legal issues, then it had to go to the attorney general. And who's the attorney general? Well, under Obama's Loretta Lynch. So it wasn't an issue now of the intel community. He may not have been caught up in that and not thinking it was intercepted and recorded. But now maybe it was caught because it was under – in legal uh, – you know, for uh, – So you think DOJ
3: under Loretta Lynch may have put a uh, – may have uh, have put out a um, a, a tap, a wiretap on his phone on, as part of a criminal well, investigation? Uh, is that what you're – is that what you're – by the way, I, I don't think that that's – Beyond, I don't think that's beyond comprehension. I think that might have happened.
5: Well, if you're just because you're paranoid, doesn't mean they're not after you. But point being is that, from a standpoint, because remember, it was, I don't
3: mean to interrupt you, Dave, but Sally Yates, who was the acting attorney general, was the one who brought this stuff to the Obama White House's attention. Uh, the acting attorney general is usually not aware of you know, an intelligence collection like that huge, unless there's a reason.
5: Usually you say usually that's the catchphrase you got to remember the doj was not operating under usual
3: uh, of course no that, I, I, i'm not happy. saying that the usually there is not dismissive the usually is yeah i think there i think this may have been the unusual
5: so but again i'm just curious as to what uh was this recorded because of the intel world because of who he was talking Dave, are, are, or, are
3: you current or former I'm, military by the way i'm just i'd have a hunch Um, You don't want to answer? You don't have to answer. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) You have facility uh, with this topic, though, sir, I will say. What was your question?
5: uh, But again, I'm just wondering if it was trapped and recorded because, well, of three things. One, because it was intel. Two, law enforcement. Three, there's technology outside of those two, two communities that would have allowed that to happen. And lastly, and this is a wish list, the corrupt media, I wish someone would have a website well published and say, This journalist is married to that political hack. That hack is married to this person. So the general media could start seeing the nepotism, the cronyism, the incestuous world and really see what the media is.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, I can think of some off the top of my head, right? You've got uh, Ben Rhodes, Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications under the Obama administration, the brother of, uh, I think, is is it uh, David? I forget. The brother of a guy named Rhodes, last name, who... Runs uh, CBS News, so you know, for for example,
5: you know it, you know it. A few people know it, but naked public awareness.
3: Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, I try. I mean, we are at a nationally syndicated radio platform right now, so that helps a little bit.
5: Well, somebody can get the website, and that next time, so when he takes a question from that crooked media and says, "By the way, how's your wife doing over at the, you know, the DNC, or how's your husband doing, or your son doing?" It <laughs> really exposes the crooked media.
3: All right, David astute and excellent questions uh, great call shields high thank you for giving us a ring Lori in New Jersey is this the Lori original Saturday squad Lori
9: you you're right Buck. It, it is man. indeed
3: hey Lori nice, how nice. are you oh my 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 original Saturday people from years ago you're the uh it's so nice to hear from you
9: Buck, I'm pretty sure I was actually the first caller ever. I think you might have Buck, been in any event. this is amazing this is I like full circle I'm gonna cry <laughs> Buck, I'm already crying. I'm so proud of you.
3: Thank you, Lori. But,
9: um, it's absolutely great. But anyway, on to the business because I was told to be succinct, and I will do my best.
3: Yes, ma'am. Uh, and
9: kind of following on from, from the previous caller. Now, my understanding is that an intercept of these calls from a U.S. person, doesn't matter who it is, to a for, a non-U.S. person who happened to be the Russian ambassador – would be permissible. The actual intercept is permissible, in fact, expected, because one end of the conversation is not a U.S. person.
3: So, I keep so hearing that, go ahead.
9: Isn't that true? I I think that's true. So the actual intercept itself, assuming that's true, the actual intercept is, <clears throat> I use the term loosely, a OK from a FISA point of view.
3: Um. I Which don't. Is a little disturbing. I don't know FISA. <laughs> I will be honest. With you, I don't know FISA law, and quite honestly, I'm not sure FISA courts know FISA law. As an aside, uh, I think well, they kind of make it up as I'm they go along, and you know, there's not a lot of there's mm-hmm. oversight in that. Everyone's looking over it, and there's no sight into what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I
9: do keep hearing this. I do keep hearing this about the actual intercept. No, I mean, but there well, there think about this way, Lori.
3: If I if I called if I called my cousin. In uh, in 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 you know the Durga Durkistan right? Like if I call my cousin somewhere, and <laughs> and they intercepted my phone call, that wouldn't be admissible against me in a court of law. That would be intelligence collection, right? Which is different from
8: yeah, collection. Right? right.
3: No, it's legal as oh, collection, but it's I'm legal. But that's thinking... why it's marked top secret because it's intelligence right. information. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
9: But go on, because we heard this from earlier in the day from the Reason uh, magazine person. What are your thoughts as a former member of the Intel community about that these, some people say these leaks. Lori, Lori, let's hold you, Lori,
3: let me hold you through so we can finish this on the other side of the break. All right, stay with us. We got a commercial. We'll be right back in just a few.
2: Hey, everybody. Buck's back. It's more of America now. Throw in your two cents. 1-844-900-BUCK. That's 1-844-900-2825.
3: Buck Sexton here. Our three is upon us. Show is flying by. We've got our friend Lori from New Jersey, who is an original Buck Sexton show Saturday squad listener and may in fact be my very first caller ever on the Buck Sexton Show. I was thinking about that during the break. Lori. so you're asking some great stuff. I wanted to finish up with you. Uh, so re- repeat the question or re- the, the line of discussion here so we can get into it.
9: Thanks, Buck. I, I, I really appreciate it. So first of all, there's this interesting question about whether the intercept of the conversation itself was perfectly permissible However detestable it might be, but permissible under FISA because the counterparty to the call was the Russian ambassador, and any call to a foreign person can be intercepted under the FISA rules in the Patriot Act. Uh,
3: yeah so I, I think I, I I don't know I don't know FISA law, but I, I do know I mean I, I did have access to signals intelligence when I was in the agency right um, i right, I can right. say this. The the problem here is not that it was collected. The problem is that it was collected and then leaked to the press. So uh, I'm not saying that (laughs) Flynn's phone call shouldn't have. I'm sorry, Lori.
9: That takes me exactly where I wanted to go. I actually wanted to go there earlier in the day when you were speaking to a woman from Reason magazine.
3: Yeah, libertarian. She was she was making excuses for this. She's a very smart woman and I really like her. But uh, I think Catherine was wrong. Like I told her, I think she's off on this one.
9: But, you know, before, just before your earlier show the day came on air, I was listening to another show, and there was a person on there advocating for this idea. And as a member of the U.S. intel community, former member, I want to ask your feelings about this. These people are advocating for the idea that members of the intelligence service, it, it, their, their leakings, their leaks are not only excusable, but it's actually their duty to leak them. Yeah, I know.
3: See, that's what I've been saying that, you know, if you leak, it better be some, you better be exposing malfeasance and imminent threat. It needs to be big time because you're breaking law. It's almost like nullification with a jury. If you're going to do that, you better be darn sure uh, because the, the whole system starts to fall apart. And that's the big concern I have here. If there's a precedent oh. that they can go through that anyone in the intel community who sees something that, that is embarrassing to a Trump administration official can pull right. that out and share that classified without there being a full investigation, without any attempt at accountability for the sharing, just for the sharing of classified, we got big problems. Because that's going to get out of control so, very would quickly.
9: It, well, would it would it be accurate for me to say this, that so far you, with your pre- previous experience, you haven't heard or seen anything in what's been leaked that actually merited that kind of action by Intel personnel?
3: 100 okay. percent. Yeah. 100 percent accurate statement. And in fact, I think what we've seen is that they were just trying to engage in. A petty political squabble, and once you start harnessing the power of perhaps the NSA or the FBI or whomever it might be to settle political scores, we go down a very dark and dangerous p- path as a country quite right. quickly. So, right. I, I, people people are blinded by Trump hatred on this one, Lori. I see it all over the place, including some libertarians, some of some civil liberty-minded folks, and it's very troubling. But Lori from New Jersey, big hug, Shields High, great to talk to you, and thank you for staying Take through. Home. Thank you for staying through on the break. All right, we're joined now by our guest, switching topics up here a bit, Jerry Kaplan. He's an artificial intelligence expert, a futurist, and a best selling author. He's also a computer scientist and an entrepreneur. He teaches at Stanford. Very impressive. Jerry, great to have you. you. (laughs)
6: <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it's nice to be on your program.
3: I uh, appreciate it, sir. So first off, Fox News today had a story do wanted you to tell us about it. You can now pre-order the world's first certified commercial flying car. I thought, th- I thought that was still just for the Jetsons. we got flying cars in the future. I'm freaking out over here.
6: Well, uh, I haven't seen the news, so this is news to me. Oh,
3: okay. Uh, about <laughs> so you're a futurist, <laughs> but we haven't seen the news today. Fair enough.
6: <laughs> well, for, for somebody who's been stuck in a traffic jam for the past hour, it sounds like a great idea to me. I hear you. Uh, uh, but uh, I have I have not seen a flying car. If I did, I wouldn't even know what it was. So I'm not uh, – I don't think you need to worry about it. And uh, if you want to place an order for it, go ahead, and I, I've got a bridge I'd like to sell you to. Okay. So you're not
3: – this doesn't look like it's coming out that soon. To, that you don't seem like you think this is going to happen that soon. Fair enough. But you are an artificial intelligence expert. Where is – I keep hearing about AI – There's the terrible movie, AI, Steven Spielberg film, which I thought was garbage. But I keep hearing about how AI is going to change jobs, change the future. What is going to change in the next few years because of artificial intelligence? What can we actually point to and say, that's not just theoretical, that's real, it's coming, and it's going to affect the people listening right now?
6: Well, there's a lot of stuff going on that's, I would say, very real and is affecting people right now. When you do search results, uh, that's uh, based a lot on techniques used in artificial intelligence. When you go on Netflix to pick a movie, they're using machine learning techniques to make recommendations.
3: I know. Netflix knows me so well, it's very upsetting. I feel, I feel like the Stasi has a has a listening device in my home or something. They know everything. Uh,
6: uh, that's true. In fact, you, you can buy one directly uh, from Google or uh, from Amazon, you know, the Amazon Echo, and it'll be happy to listen to you all you want. Uh, so there are real effects that are happening right now. However, what you see in the movies nothing like that is on the horizon nor in my view is it ever likely to happen so the kind of scare tactics that uh, machines are going to rise up and take over or that we're on the edge of having you know robots that look like people but are actually real robots you don't need to be worried about that the effects on labor markets that's very real and that will be happening over the next uh, 10 to 20 years
3: now yeah that i, w- I want to ask you about this i mean you're quoted as uh, saying that the coming wave of artificial intelligence Will rival the invention of the wheel. Before I ask you about labor markets, how will it, uh, how so? What are the big things that are coming?
6: Oh, well, uh, artificial intelligence is a fundamental technology, just like the wheel is. And just as the wheel uh, revolutionized transportation, it's pretty clear that artificial intelligence is going to uh, revolutionize transportation because we're going to have self driving cars and trucks. And that's going to completely change the way that uh, we uh, move freight and the way we uh, get to work and and our productivity. So I I don't think that's an inapt uh, analogy, but artificial intelligence in some sense is very much broader because it's going to be applied in a wide variety of different fields. It's really an advance in automation. And like previous waves of automation, it makes us richer as a society but on the short run, it also puts people out of work, and that's something I think we need to pay attention to and be
3: careful about. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. What are the jobs that are going to be uh, hit by automation, and and how can we both uh, prepare for? I mean, there'll be, I would assume, productivity gains. It'll be good for some businesses, but also there'll be some layoffs. There'll be some employment negative employment effects that come from this. When is the? How is that going to happen, and where? What industries do you see it hitting sooner?
6: Well, I don't think you know, a radio talk host is going to be on that list, so I, I wouldn't be too concerned.
3: There we uh, go. Uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> sleep sound me tonight, sir. Thank you.
6: Uh, yeah, but um, clearly, just to pick the one that's most obvious, uh, we have three million commercial drivers in the U.S. And all they do is uh, you know, basically steer cars around, steer trucks around, and... Uh, That is not going to be necessary uh, in about uh, the next uh, 10 to 20 years. There's good technology for that, and we're going to see a great transformation. So one of the jobs that I would not recommend to my children going into is to become a professional driver of one kind or another. Now, there are a lot of other professions that will also be impacted, but uh, that's one that people are very well aware of and uh, certainly uh, should be cognizant of when they're thinking about what they want to be doing 20 years from now.
3: Are we heading towards, in the in the next few years, uh, the, confl- uh, the sort of uh, working together, cooperation, a, a, a network of different technologies that would mean that you have Uber right now, which is rideshare service, and there's others I know, but Uber is the best known, that allows you to geolocate, have a car come pick you up, whatever, wherever you are. You've got self-driving cars, and you've got Google adding in the AI side of this. All of those technologies will be able to work together, won't they? I mean, that's going to revolutionize transportation in a day-to-day sense for a lot of Americans very quickly.
6: Absolutely. And when people think about this, they tend to think about it as though we're substituting. It's going to be just like it is today, but uh, you won't have a driver. You know, you don't have to drive the car. But what you point out is very real. Uh, What we're going to see is a complete change in the whole infrastructure for transportation so that uh, you'll be able to call for a vehicle. You won't need to own a car. It's going to have a tremendous impact on uh, individuals and consumers because the second biggest expense they have is their car and their insurance and their gas. And the chances are we'll be able to provide that same kind of service for 25% of the cost, and you won't need to have a garage. You can take it over and make it into an extra bedroom. It's going to change the way we uh, go about moving around. We won't need parking lots of the same nature and size that we do today. Uh, Today, 40% of the real estate in Los Angeles is, is tied up with vehicles, parking, and cars. And uh, this is going to be the equivalent of manufacturing new real estate because we're not going to need nearly the number of cars that we have today. Since most cars, the typical uh, uh, residential car is only used 7% of the time. So uh, you know, if we can share cars, it's going to be a very different economy, and the way in which we'll live will seem very different as a result.
3: You have an op-ed in the Atlantic from twenty fifteen where you talk about how the age of the robot worker will be worse for men. Why is that?
6: <laughs> well, I'm not sure. This is I could explain this quickly in uh, in thirty seconds on the radio. Well, yeah,
3: you, 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 you have a minute. We can keep you through the break. You got a couple minutes, oh, or you got to run.
6: I, absolutely I'm, I'm i'm yours for the rest of the evening all right
3: jerry we're gonna hang out and talk a little more about this because i don't want to rush you through and we got to go into a break here jerry kaplan he's got uh, two books uh, two of his latest books here artificial intelligence what everyone needs to know and humans need not apply a guide to wealth and work in the age of artificial intelligence that guy teaches at stanford very impressive individual jerry we're going to keep you through the break we'll be right back everybody all right buck is back with you now and we've got our guest jerry kaplan who is a computer scientist entrepreneur and best-selling author Uh, His two books, Artificial Intelligence and Humans Need Not Apply, are on Amazon.com right now. Jerry, uh, you were going to tell us about how the age of the robot worker will be worse for men. The floor is yours, sir.
6: Well, uh, the basic reason for that is that if you look at the kinds of jobs that men typically do, these tend to be blue-collar jobs. They tend to be task-oriented. There tends to be a well-defined set of goals so that you know when you've accomplished the task and how you get it done is often very clear. Those are exactly the kind of tasks that artificial intelligence is best for, and we can uh, substitute new technologies and artificial intelligence and robotics for a lot of those kinds of activities. By contrast, uh, women in general tend to be in uh, what you might call softer professions, ones that involve establishing some kind of personal rapport with people or problem-solving under uh, difficult or changing circumstances. So, for example, nurses and nursing in general, which is dominated by uh, females, at least in the U.S., is a, a field which is really not going to be subject to automation anytime soon. On the other hand, uh, somebody who lays bricks for a living, we can definitely build devices uh, that can uh, perform that same task. And that person may be out of a job.
3: And I've even seen this. I mean, I'm born and raised in New York City and know a lot of people in finance. There's an automation. It's not just, oh, there'll be better machines that can carry things or that can drive people around. Uh, you know, there'll be drones that are doing deliveries for you. Commodities traders, uh, there's algorithmic trading that goes on. There. I saw just earlier this week, I saw a photo of what the UBS trading floor looked like years ago versus what it looks like now. And it's a ghost town now compared to what it used to be because so much of that has been. So even Wall Street faces automation challenges.
6: Oh, absolutely. In fact, they're in the forefront of it. Programmatic trading of stocks and commodities and all that is absolutely standard. About 80% of all the stock that's traded on the uh, U.S. stock exchanges is actually being done by machine, not by people at all. They can uh, be more accurate. They don't lose their cool. They can operate at timescales that are completely beyond anything that a human can do. And so they've taken over all of those markets.
3: You know, I've got a question from from a listener right now for you, uh, Jerry. Uh, Ashley in Texas wants to know, uh, how does he think the education sh- uh, system should change under Trump based on new technology and where we're going with jobs, uh, should colleges force students to take classes that that deal with this new reality instead of that you, you don't really need or, you know, everyone always jokes about basket weaving or Caribbean literature, 1750 to 1850 or whatever the case may be. Uh, do you think that there's a role in education here that, that we have to address this or else people are going to really be left behind?
6: Uh, absolutely. And I agree 100% we do because the rate of automation is is increasing. And that means that the kind of job that you may train for today may not be the job There may be no such job in five years or in 10 years. So we used to have a world in which you could learn a particular profession uh, while you were in school and maybe go to college and learn a profession and then stick with that with the rest of the rest of your life. But we have to change that view and think of continuing education, particularly as it pertains to vocational training, as something that occurs throughout your entire working career uh, so it's very important that we shift the way in which we think about how you train for a job, and uh, the fact that it it should be ongoing throughout uh, your entire uh, working life.
3: What do you see as the growth effects of this automation? What, what, what are the other I mean, convenience, obviously, uh, but will there be an uh, there'll there'll be an upside just for general economic productivity? Uh, do you foresee that some of these coming changes that use artificial intelligence will? Do what? We'll be safer. We'll be more productive. We'll be we'll live longer. And what do you see happening?
6: Well, the, the primary thing is we're basically going to be a lot wealthier. And this isn't something that's new. Most people don't realize that the U.S. economy and the average household income in the U.S., average household, has doubled every 40 years reliably for over two centuries. So today uh, we're actually have twice as much money as we had 40 years ago on average. Now, the big issue, of course, is that's not being distributed in a fair way across all of society, but that's a completely different conversation. What automation does, it's the substitution of capital for labor, and it makes us more productive and it makes us wealthier as a society. How we choose to use that, that's uh, really going to be up to us.
3: But now, that, we had Puzder, who was going to be labor secretary, and one of the issues that he was—that uh, there was a lot of contention surrounding him— on had to do with fifteen dollar minimum wage and and fast food workers. Um, people have been saying for a while that if you try to force a fifteen dollar minimum wage uh, with fast food workers, you're going to get uh, more automation. Is that I mean, are we going to expect that restaurants, particularly restaurants that that are chain restaurants that are fast food, are they going to go in the automation direction too, or do you think that that's just politically problematic?
6: No, well, it, it, first of all, it's already happened. I mean, you go into these places, they, they look kind of like mini ghost towns. They're, they look like little factories. You know, you may have three or four workers where you might have had 20 uh, 10 years ago. So the automation has already taken place in those industries. It's like the steel industry. You know, the jobs went away, but, but the industry, uh, you know, even if we bring the industry back, they're not going to bring back the jobs. So it's absolutely true in, in those low-wage jobs that we're already seeing waves of automation. Now, the economists who studied this and they do so very, very thoroughly and very, very carefully. They actually think that raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour is not going to have a significant effect in terms of putting people out of work and uh, increasing automation. There is a limit to that. And, uh, but uh, the general consensus among uh, uh, economists has been 15 bucks is a perfectly reasonable level. And we used to peop- pay people at that level uh, when you account for inflation. So, uh, I I don't think there's any reason we shouldn't increase the minimum wage to a $15 level. Uh, It's just not going to have negative economic effects uh, that come anywhere close to balancing the fact that we're really helping out an awful lot of people who are underpaid today and deserve a better wage. Where
3: is there going to be growth uh, in terms of jobs in the future as you see it?
6: Well, that's a very good question. Uh, There's lots of areas. The most obvious one is uh, there's a tremendous shortage today of uh, trained people to do computer programming and various technical professions. That's a big area. Right now, nursing, believe it or not, is a profession that uh, it's, uh, there's tremendous need for, for nurses. You've got at a home. big aging population,
3: yeah. All
6: right. And I, I don't know. People don't seem to realize this, but you can get the government provides a lot of information. You can get right on the internet. Go to uh, I think it's bls.gov, uh, I may have that wrong, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they publish, here's our projections for every single industry, what we think there, there's going to be a need for. And I think there will be plenty of work in the future, but it's mainly for demographic reasons. Uh, the truth is that the you know, workforce is aging, it's getting older, and fewer people are entering the workforce. And as we see, I think that uh, the, the difficulty of getting a job is going to ease little by little over the next 5, 10, 15 years.
3: All right. And one one fun one for you, Jerry, out of the sci-fi world. How far away are we from an android or cyborg army that actually threatens to overtake our government in the White House? I mean, is this like 15, 20 years away or 100 years away?
6: I it's, it's, uh, infinite. That's never going to (laughs) happen. The idea, the idea that robots are going to rise up and take over is just plain silly. You don't need to worry about it. There's no them there. These are tools, they're machines. They're just like our cars or our trucks or whatever it might be. Uh, that that is, that's a a fiction that grows great for movies. I
3: was going to say, you've made the Terminator much less scary now. I, I, you don't need to worry about it. It's, 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 like it's like I'm afraid of a, of a salad shooter or my blender or something, and I shouldn't be. So, all right. That's, Jer- that's, that's, <laughs> Jerry Kaplan is an artificial intelligence expert, futurist, best-selling author. Check out his two latest books, Artificial Intelligence, Whatever we Needs to Know, and Humans Need Not Apply, A Guide to Wealth and Work in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. Jerry, great to have you. Thanks for making some extra time for us. Great. Thank you so much.
6: Pleasure to be here.
3: Appreciate it. All right, guys, phones are open. 844 900 2825. The Buck will be right back.
2: The things that matter most in your day to day life are too important to trust to just anyone. That's that's why. That's why he's here. Buck Sexton with America Now. Sharp mind, strong voice.
3: Buck Sexton. It was an assassination straight out of the pages of a spy novel. The North Korean dictator uh, Kim Jong-un's brother Kim Jong-nam was taken out, a hit, a professional hit at that, in an airport in Malaysia. What is going on here? What's the backstory? What does all this mean? We're joined now by our friend Gordon Chang. He is the author of The Coming Collapse of China and a Forbes contributor. Gordon, great to have you. Thanks for making the time. Oh, thank you so much, Buck. All right, Gordon, what happened here? Kim Jong-nam, uh, w- w- just first, tell us what the plot was. You got a couple of ladies approach him at an airport. I mean, this is like something you'd read in Tom Clancy. Well, sure.
8: You have two women. One of them came behind Kim Jong-nam, put a cloth over his face. After that, he felt some irritation. He felt unwell. He was then taken to a hospital where he died en route. And clearly he was poisoned. Uh, this looked like a hit by North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, killing his half-brother. The reason why this is important is because it shows that Kim Jong-un, the ruler of North Korea, really feels un- insecure. You know, when you have a regime where it depends on legitimacy depends on bloodline and you kill a blood relative, that's a heinous act. And that can destabilize Kim because people will think that that's crossing the line. So I think that you've got a very insecure ruler in North Korea. He's got an arsenal of long-range missiles, and he's got nukes.
3: Now, the South Korean spy chief has said that um, this was a long-standing order, right, that that, that he was supposed— and there have been other assassination attempts on the half-brother here.
8: There was apparently one in 2012, um, but I think that essentially— they had may have come to some sort of accommodation of the two half brothers. It's not exactly clear what's occurred here, but we got to remember that this occurred within the um, two weeks of two other events. One of them was we learned of the purge of the Minister of State Security. Also on Sunday, when they fired off that intermediate-range missile, the head of North Korea's strategic rocket forces was not at the scene, which indicates instability and turbulence at the top of the North Korean military. So I think that this is significant in the sense that we now have three instances of instability. Uh, We learn about them all within a two-week period.
3: So Kim Jong-nam, Kim Jong-un's brother who was assassinated in this what, in the middle of a busy airport, he was in a Starbucks, two women came up, one put a cloth over his mouth, poisoned him somehow, it all it all went down very quickly. Uh, why wasn't he claiming, uh, wouldn't he want to claim asylum in some country? What is this individual's background? It seems strange that he, he would uh, not try to find safe harbor somewhere.
1: Well, there
8: really is very few places of safe harbor. He actually had one, which is China because he was under the protection of Beijing, from all accounts. Essentially, um, Beijing was thinking that he might be handy if they ever got rid of the other Kims. They could place him in his stead, really, and have him work for Beijing. Um, But it's it's significant that uh, North Korean agents didn't try to kill him on Chinese soil. Matter of fact, Kim Jong-nam walked around Macau without security. You could go up to him. You could talk to him. He's very friendly. But uh, obviously in places uh, outside of China, um, you know, he was vulnerable, so they felt that they could get him, and that's what happened.
3: And Kim Jong-un's reason for this, uh, I know that people say, oh, he's crazy, and North Korea is the hermit kingdom, and so anything that happens there just falls under this general description of, well, it's North Korea. Uh, but why would he want to take out his half-brother? You said it's instability? I mean, what's, what's the motivation here? Just, does, is he considered a threat to the legitimacy of Kim Jong-un?
8: Well, he was the oldest son of Kim Jong-il, and he was passed over. And so he was possible, you know, a possible heir uh, or successor to Kim Jong-un. And obviously the Chinese thought that way. And so Kim Jong-un did not want the Chinese thinking that they could install a Kim in his place. So from Kim Jong-un's point of view, I think he was thinking that he was reducing the incentives of the Chinese to actually replace him.
3: And the you, ma- you mentioned that the missile launch that happened and there was a lot of media coverage of the Trump administration, uh, well, Donald Trump and his top officials in Mar-a-Lago planning some sort of response to this. Uh, what should the Trump team, uh, you know, they're coming in fresh. What should they be doing vis-a-vis North Korea?
8: I think the most important thing for them to do is to impose costs on China. Um, Chinese banks are involved in illicit commerce with regard to North Korea. You've got enterprises selling uranium hexafluoride uh, valves and other components for the North's uranium weapons program. I think that we need to impose really stiff sanctions on China, like unplugging their banks from the global financial system. That would rock markets. But for the first time ever, it would tell Beijing that we were serious about protecting our homeland. And we were not serious in either the Obama or the Bush administration. So um, that's why China has continued to support the North Koreans' um, ambitions to build the world's most dangerous weapons those guys are villains we've let them be villains
3: what does china have in its toolkit diplomatically economically and militarily to try to lash out back at the trump administration if trump did take the stance that we need to start imposing costs on china for any number of things that i know you've talked to me about before Uh, On on other shows, Gordon, including uh, cyber hacking and currency manipulation and uh, trade. And there's a whole list of issues where the Chinese have just been doing what they want. And the U.S. seems to take the perspective of, whoa, we don't want to upset China. So they just get to do what they want. If Trump pushes back on that, what could what would they have to be on the lookout for in terms of a Chinese response that might have a bit of bite that might cause a real crisis or problem, whether economically or militarily?
8: I think the one thing the Chinese could do, which would have an effect, would be to expropriate uh, American property in China. Um, They could start closing down American businesses. They could do all sorts of things. But that's really, I think, our weak point. I'm not worried about them selling Treasury obligations. Um, They're already doing that because they need to support their currency. Um, You know, they already attack us to the maximum extent on cyber um, along with their Russian friends, so you know, I don't think that that's a real threat. um, but I do think that they could start taking uh, American property,
3: so they'd be seizing u s assets and then that I, I could see how that ratchets up uh, that ratchets up tensions, as they say in journalistic and diplomatic parlance pretty quickly. um but you you seem to think that uh, from everything I've heard from you now and in the past, that there really does need to be a shift, something of a sea change in U.S. positioning uh, towards China on all of these different issues because they've just been getting away with far too much for far too long. And so in a sense, when Trump was criticizing China and saying their leadership is smarter than ours on the campaign trail, he may not have been making the point with tremendous eloquence, but it seems like to me you agree with the basis of much of those points. Oh,
8: absolutely. Absolutely. We need to have a radical rethink of our China policies because they're not working. You know, the Chinese have been supporting North Korea's nuclear weapons and ballistic missile programs. They've been seizing islands and specs in the South China Sea. They're pressuring our ally Japan. Um, you know, they do all sorts of things. And we do not push back because we're afraid of the Chinese. And because of that, we have just emboldened the worst elements in the Chinese political system because we've shown everybody else in Beijing that aggression works. So um, clearly, we have uh, allowed the Chinese to do things to destabilize the international system and to undercut the interests of the United States and our allies and partners. So when the history of this era is written... Uh, People are going to say, and they're going to point to a string of American presidents who did not defend American interests, and I think they're going to be severely judged.
3: Gordon Chang is a Forbes contributor and author of The Coming Collapse of China. Gordon, looking forward to having you on regularly on the syndicated show here. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you so much, Buck. All right, Team Buck, phones are open, 844-900-2825. I'm going to talk to you about the possibility of... U.S. ground troops in Syria on the flip side of this break. Stay with me. All right, Buck Sexton, back with you now. We've got Alan in Florida on the line, WFLA. What's up, Alan?
1: Yes, sir.
11: Um, I was actually just questioning um, with your call screener. Do you think this is just setting uh, President Trump up to not get reelected? I mean, we're two months in, and daily they do nothing but try and tear him down. I can't
3: think of any other excuse for it. Well, no, I, I don't think they're trying to get, to get him not reelected, Alan. I think they're trying to create enough anti-Trump sentiment that they can get him impeached and removed from office. I, I think the media believes they can really do that. And they want some of his senior, uh, senior advisors and uh, cabinet officials, if possible, to go to prison. I, I think that's what they want. When you've got you've got Congresswoman uh, Maxine Waters, uh, was that was I have her name right? Is it, yeah, Maxine Waters, saying yep. that uh, that Flynn is just the tip of the iceberg with Russia. They think there's a lot more.
11: Well, it, it's, it's ridiculous. We've I mean, every president for I'm fixing I'm to be fifty years old. Every president I can remember has had you know some little something in their presidency that didn't didn't sit well with the press but nothing this man does sits well with the press they don't they, don't, they just don't like him.
3: that's right they just don't like him they hate him it's it's pretty amazing when you think about it this is a, a guy who's a celebrity on TV very successful on TV for a long time uh, billionaire real estate mogul and they they act like look they act like he's hitler i don't know what else to say it's insane i mean people in the media have completely lost their minds over this but, uh, Alan Shields High, thanks for calling us from Florida. Brent in New Mexico, you're up. What's up?
11: Buck Sexton. Hey, it's good to talk to you, man. Shields High.
3: Shields High, good to talk to you, sir.
11: Hey, man, I, I'm looking forward to your future. I think you got a lot of busy tones in your future.
3: A, a lot of what? What?
11: Well, I think there's going to be a lot of people calling into your show. Oh,
3: well, thank you, sir. I, I, I hope so, yes. It's coming.
11: But, anyway, um, no, I was thinking about the – the hip, hypocrisy about, uh, you know, wiretaps. And I want to—nobody listens to me. They want to listen to you, but— um,
3: I want to listen to you. Trump. Brent, what do you have?
11: <laughs> well, I mean, the wiretaps on reporters at Fox News when the Obama administration was doing it. Now, say that, you know, uh, Trump wants to get to the bottom of these leaks with these reporters and stuff. I mean, what say say that he wiretapped these reporters in order to find these classified leaks. Could you imagine the storm that that would create and uh, what mechanisms are in place for him to get to the bottom of this is more or less what I'm trying to ask? Yeah,
3: him. look, I, po- I pointed this out on social media, Brent, that it, that Obama used the Espionage Act, uh, Espionage Act, I said this yesterday on air, but he used the Espionage Act more than every presidency before him combined. And then on Twitter, I was writing about how he wiretapped journalists in order to crack down on leaks. And we have to hear about how Trump is a fascist dictator who's going to destroy uh, the First Amendment. Uh, look, there's there's clearly an enormous double standard at play with a lot of this. And if Trump did decide to wiretap journalists, I think you could assume that there would be just a complete fury over it, that there would be um, they'd be apoplectic. Uh, they they would uh, be, you know, banning together about how this is destroying a free press. But they were not willing to do that with Obama for obvious reasons that we don't need to go into right now. Uh, they just they were all in love with Obama. We get it. So Trump is operating under a different set of rules. Uh, I also think it's interesting that you have so many in the press are now untroubled by surveillance of a U.S. citizen making a phone call. Oh, OK. They're they're untroubled by it in concept and they're also untroubled by the leaking of it to score political points. Oh, well, I'm glad that there's so much principle at work here with the with the press. But, um, Brent, you know, it's we're going to be fighting this battle for a long time, my friends, my friend, because they're they're not going to change they tune on any of this. But uh, Shields High, man, thank you for calling in. I mentioned this before the break, and I wanted to get to it. Uh, the Defense Department, according to CNN here, might propose sending U.S. troops into Syria um, because they're going to help in the fight against the Islamic State. Now, currently, not a lot of media coverage out there about the effort to retake Mosul from the Islamic State, Mosul in Iraq, the largest Sunni-majority uh, Sunni city, In that country, bisected, the city is bisected by the Tigris River. The east part of the river, which tends to be more Kurdish in control and populate or Kurdish in control, at least anyway, uh, that's already retaken from ISIS. But the western part of the city, which is where much of the harder fighting is, I believe that is still underway. Uh, There is also on the other side of the Iraq-Syria border an effort right now to close in using Kurdish militias, uh, Kurdish militias that have some connections that are certainly troubling to Turkey. We're not as troubled by them here, but the Turks are. Uh, to close in on Raqqa, which is the Islamic State's de facto ca- uh, de facto capital, the capital of their caliphate in Syria, uh, we may be putting U.S. troops on the ground there. That's what the Defense Department will be presenting to Trump, according to CNN here. Um, I think this is interesting because it really does confirm what I've been saying and many others have been saying now for years, which is that Obama's primary... A prime, a primary directive. His his main, um, his main decision making on Iraq and Syria was always determined by not being Bush. We currently have five thousand plus soldiers in Iraq. We don't know what the exact number is, and I'm sure the five thousand doesn't include anybody who's there under Spec Ops authority and and is not, you know, is not is not about to be be counted in an official tally. Um, There are U.S. special forces who are on the front lines assisting in Mosul. And as we know, we've also seen reports of uh, special operations uh, troops in Syria who are helping against the who are helping our on the ground allies against the Islamic State there. But Obama was always delaying on this. And that was a, a overriding objective of his entire Syria policy. I just think it's so interesting. The media won't couch it this way. They won't put it in this context. But here we have Donald Trump coming into office, and one of the first things that's going to be offered up to him as a, possibility, a possible path for dealing with Syria is putting U.S. troops on the ground. Well, what would have happened if we were going to do that? What would have happened if we had done that four years ago? Obama was—look, I'm not even sure that troops were the, uh, the answer then, but taking a, a stronger hand in Syria with airstrikes, uh, backing— ground forces that were at least anti-ISIS, uh, there were any number of options. And people say, oh, that's not possible. Well, that's what they've been doing now. You'll see that there's been this silent transformation of Obama's syria policy in the latter stages of his presidency from doing very little to doing the things that he originally and his senior national security advisors originally said would be Uh, dangerous, counterproductive, they didn't want to do, they started doing it, they just didn't really announce that that's what was going on. And to me, that's an admission that your previous policy failed. Once you start adopting the prescriptions of those who disagree with you from the beginning and just don't talk about it, clearly you recognize that what you've been doing was not the right way to go. And this just shows me, and I'm sure many others who uh, who are watching this issue, that the Obama administration was wrong on this one. Their policy in Syria was about as bad as it could be. Uh, And short of a catastrophic quagmire being Bush in Syria instead of Bush in Iraq, that was the Obama thinking at least on it. So we'll continue to watch this issue. I don't know if Trump is going to put troops in Syria. I doubt it, but we'll have to see. Um, If you missed any part of tonight's show or you'd like to do me a huge solid and share some of the show, Please go to americanowradio.com slash podcast. You can play the whole show there on demand for free. You can shoot that in an email to one or two of your buddies, and that's how we will grow Team Buck. If you're listening and you don't mind calling you Team Buck, because that's what it is, just everybody listens to the show. I'll also refer to this sometimes as the Freedom Hut, just because we talk a lot about freedom here. And I'll have to give you a full explanation of where it comes from another time, but our Rallying Cry team, as we all know, is how I end the show, Shields High.